We are on lesson three of the winter quarter. The title of the lesson is Trusting Through the Night and Joy in the Morning. And we'll be covering Psalms 22 and 30, which means we'll cover Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 27. So Psalm 22 is a very famous psalm. The first section is section A, Why Have You Forsaken Me? And that is Psalm 22, verses 1 through 21. So Psalm 22, I'll go ahead and read that. It is for the choir director upon Aizaleth Hash-Shahar, which means literally the hind of the morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me, as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. Now that is not very uplifting, is it? No. So there is nothing that we can really pinpoint from David's experience that would go along with this. You know, the author was King David. Not really sure when during his life this was that he wrote this. But it is an uncanny prophecy of Jesus on the cross. And so, you know, by the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit guided David to write this down. And this psalm was written a thousand years before Jesus came. So this is a very long uh, prior prophecy 
of the crucifixion. And, you know, especially this piercing of the hands and feet, you know, the, uh, the Israelites, when they killed criminals, they didn't pierce them, they stoned them instead. So things would have to change for the Messiah to be killed by piercing. But if we look at this, we can get an inkling of what Jesus was experiencing on the cross. And it was not a happy thing, which would make sense, right? Yeah, and he was experiencing the punishment for the sins of every person, which is a lot of sin. So verse 1 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the Gospels, it's written, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? It's Aramaic. And that is what Jesus said. On the cross, Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. Let's look that up. Yeah, at about the ninth hour. So in verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour, which is noon, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. So darkness. So during this time, you're, we're thinking that the Trinity was being split, where the first and second parts of the Trinity were being separated from one another, which is odd to think about, even though, I mean, the Trinity itself is odd to think about, but that is what Jesus did not want to happen. That's what he was asking the Lord to save him from in the Garden of Gethsemane. So verse 46 says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so he quotes the first verse of Psalm 22. We know that Jesus' life was a script. It was written down by the Old Testament prophets in many respects. Hundreds and up to a thousand years before he lived. That's why he would always say, my time is not yet. My time is not yet. He said that over and over. He said that to his mother, Mary, when she wanted him to do something about the wine. You know, he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My time is not yet. So Jesus was very aware of his life being a script. But what was Jesus doing on the cross? He was paying for our sins. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says something about that. The Father, he made him, the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the Father saw the Son as sin and he treated him that way 
And that was his whole, the whole plan of redemption from eternity past. Um, and that opened the door for, that made it possible for a holy God to accept sinful people if they trusted in this sin bearer. Um, that is the only way that holy God would be able to do that and still maintain his holiness. That's the dominant characteristic of God, isn't it? Holiness, that's what the seraphim cry out over and over, day and night around his throne, holy, holy, holy. They don't say, now, God is love, but they don't cry out, love, love, love. God is grace. They don't cry out, grace, grace, grace. They cry out, holy, holy, holy. And so, you know, sinful people have a problem because a holy God cannot even look on sin, and yet we are sinful. So this is the remedy here. So verse 2, O oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. So God abandoned Jesus for this time. Well, that's different than Christians, isn't it? Christians sometimes feel abandoned. But we're not. <laughs> it's not true with us. Um, you know, in this during this time, Jesus was abandoned. He was abandoned. The Lord never abandons his his children. We go through hard times, you know. And he's there to comfort us, to be with us, and to encourage us during those times. And that's all because Jesus went through this time where he was totally abandoned. Thankfully, it was not for too long, but I'm sure it felt long to him. In Psalm 3 through 5, yet you are holy. O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered, in you they trusted and were not disappointed. So look, there's three times in those three verses, David talks about trusting in the Lord. What is the criteria for salvation? It's belief, right? The Old Testament saints believed God's promise of a coming Savior, the seed of the woman who would destroy Satan. And the belief in that promise is what saved a person in Old Testament times. Now we have the benefit of knowing who that seed of the woman is, what his name is, where he was born, where he came from, all sorts of things we're we have the benefit of. But yeah, the Old Testament saints were saved by trusting in the Lord. Verse 4, and you, our fathers, trusted. So they were saved. They trusted, and you delivered them. And that's the whole story of the Old Testament. The people who trusted God, he delivered. The people who did not trust God, he disciplined. You know, over and over and over again. The book of Judges is 
is like that, you know. When you trust God, you listen to him. So this is how to have fellowship with God. You trust him, and because you trust him, he has given his word, which gives his expectations, and he empowers you to live according to the expectations. Although the Old Testament saints didn't have that empowerment like we do. They had to do it on their own, which is why they did so poorly. So Isaiah 53 and verse 3 says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. So the Messiah was not esteemed, especially by his own people. And that's in verse 6. So verses 3 through 5, the psalmist is talking about the fathers who trusted God, and because they trusted him, he delivered them, and they weren't disappointed. But then it goes on to verse 6 and says, But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. And that goes along with that Isaiah verse that he was despised, and we did not esteem him. And people still treat him that way, right? What's the most common use of Jesus' name? It says a swear word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They use his name to swear. Verse 7 and 8. All who see me sneer at me, they separate with the lip. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. And again, that, we see that prophecy was fulfilled at the cross. That also is in Matthew 27. Let's see, Matthew 27, 39. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads. And then 43, he trusts in God, let God rescue him now, if he delights in him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And of course, God could have done that, and Jesus could have, if he wanted to, called, what, 12 legions of angels, didn't he say? Which were 6,000 each, 72,000 angels, to come and rescue him, if he wanted to, but that would go against the whole purpose of why he was born. He was born for this time. This is where uh, provision was made for salvation for humanity. Verse 9 says, Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. So he's talking of the Father here. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts... Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. So he's crying out. So I bet the father was struggling during this time too, wasn't he? The son and father 
have been close throughout his incarnation because they were, you know, united in the Godhead from eternity past. And uh, there's a passage in Isaiah, it sounds like the Father, the Holy Spirit, taught Jesus day by day as he was growing up. Um, and so they're very close, they're united, you know, they're one God with three persons, which is something we can't understand. <clears throat> and here the second person is crying out, and the Father says, no, I can't help you. So, verse 12 through 13, Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. This passage, there's a lot of fulfilled prophecies. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. So, bulls, a lion, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. And that that is what happens during crucifixion, right? You you get weak, and so your your shoulders become disjointed, um, and uh, you know you die because of suffocation because you get too weak to lift yourself up so you can take a breath. Now the, the guess who is a band. Anybody heard of the guess who? They're a band from the 70s. Very good band, by the way. And they wrote a song called Hang On To Your Life. And verse 14 is the last stanza, last phrase of that song. You know? And uh, it, it's very spooky <laughs> to hear it. What is the verse? Guess, the Guess Who. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. They, it's, they have a song called Hang On To Your Life. And it, it quotes Psalm 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. Oh, they, they do Psalm 14 and 15, verse 14 and 15. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. That's how the song ends. <laughs> so it's real, real. And, uh, you know, the Bachman Turner Overdrive. Have you heard that band? Yeah, that they, they arose. That's one of the guys from the Guess Who, also. Well, not anywhere else. It's only in that song that I heard that. But I thought that was interesting, and it makes it very. It really, it really strikes you when they're using the Bible. But Jesus had no mercy while dying. That's what we see there, you know, right? There are people who were making fun of him. They were mocking him. Of course, they did try to give him myrrh mixed with wine, which would have numbed his pain, and he denied that. He didn't want that uh, because he was paying for the sins of the world. So verse 16, For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. So this couldn't take place until there was a power ruling that took care of its prisoners by piercing, right? And that was Rome, and Rome, Rome did not invent crucifixion. The Assyrians invented crucifixion. You know, the Assyrians were incredibly cruel. 
And the, Assyri the Assyrians would uh, skin people alive and uh, things like that. And they invented crucifixion. And, but the Romans popularized cru crucifixion as a punishment. And in, in the, uh, yeah, that's how they, they did it to terrorize their military opponents, to terrorize them. You know, just like what Hamas did to Israel. The things they did were totally uncalled for. It's to terrorize, yeah, to terrorize. And so they brutalize and kill babies and do all these sorts of things. And, it, you know, it's to cause fear. So, yeah, we didn't pray for them. Lord, we pray for Israel that they would destroy Hamas, Hamas. Totally destroy them until they are no more. So, verse 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And we know that is a prophecy that came to pass literally. The soldiers who were guarding Jesus split up his belongings, such as they were, and then they didn't want to tear up his robe, so they gambled for it, cast lots. Okay, so it's a very explicit picture of Jesus on the cross and his emotional state and what he was feeling. Anything else about that? Okay, so that's section A. Section B is delivered by God. So can I get somebody to read 22 through verse 31? Of Psalm 22. Yeah. 22? Yeah. 22 to 21? To 31, to the end. Yes, you may. Yes. 22. Yeah, so now look at the, uh, the kind of the tone of this half of the psalm compared to the first half. This is much more upbeat, isn't it? The first half is just dreary, <laughs> you know, it's just suffering. unrelenting, yeah, horror and no. and no and uh, no, there's no mercy at all. And but this one, this is the result of what he did. Verse twenty-two: I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. So in the assembly, the Messiah will praise the Father. And he calls others his brethren. Because through his promise, which he paid for here, here he paid for his promise, he, we become in him. We become in him and we become his brethren. Because he gives us the Holy Spirit. And so we can become partakers of the divine nature, which is... That was our memory verse in November, you know, through these pre precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. We can partake of God's nature when we believe in Jesus. So in verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. 
All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. So this is David. He's the king of Israel. He's talking about Israel, but, you know, it broadens it out in that first phrase, you who fear the Lord can include Gentiles. You know, that is us. And what is one of the missions of the church is to glorify God. And so we worship him, you know, and our obedience to him also glorifies him. In verse 24, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him for help, he heard. Yeah, that is true. It was delayed when he was crying out to him on the cross. The Lord did not answer. The Lord separated himself from him. There was a wedge driven between the first and second members of the Trinity. Um, and Jesus experienced death, which must have been weird for God. <laughs> to experience death. and uh, But, three days later, he did answer him. And he was raised. Although, you know, Jesus said that he himself could raise himself. He said that he lays down his life and he can take it up again. Um, being God, of course, he can do what he wants. So, yeah, the Father answered Jesus' cry by resurrection. How has he answered you? Do you have times when he has answered you? When we cry out for help? Yeah. Many times, you know, I'm, when looking for things, I will cry out to him and he will answer me. Sometimes very quickly, sometimes it takes a while. When you're feeling bad, you can cry out to him, and he will answer you. Um, you know, when you're in a bind, you can cry out to him, and he will answer you. So, yeah, and that's because of Jesus, because we're in him. And so God listens to us. So verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. So we want to praise the Lord in the assembly. You know, our assembly is our little church here. Uh, we have other assemblies, you know, an assembly is a gathering. So when we gather with people, we want to be praising the Lord. That's how we glorify him. Uh, but especially in worship here, which we do here. Now, how... Verse 25 says, I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. So how does that apply to the people this psalm was written to? They were under the Mosaic Law, remember? So their vows were probably an animal. 
they probably brought a sacrificial animal, a peace offering. You know, uh, that's a, a vow, is a peace offering because that was voluntary. The sin offering was not voluntary. Now, the sin offering you brought if you had sinned. Of course, the, and the burnt offering was to dedicate that. I guess that's voluntary. That's to dedicate yourself to God. This is the whole burnt offering. Um, we don't do that anymore, right? But we do have sacrifices that we offer to God, don't we? Those are spiritual sacrifices. Romans 12, Romans 12.1, which is our body. We offer our body to be used by God. So basically it's our will. We offer our will for God to use and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And, um, you know, Hebrews talks about the sacrifices of praise and doing good to one another, you know, for with such things, for with these sacrifices, God is well pleased. So when you help other Christians, those are sacrifices that please God too. So verse 26, the afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. So this goes beyond David now. And this is talking about the Messiah. Because the Messiah will rule over the earth. And when the Messiah does rule, he'll be in charge of the earth. And it says, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. And they will do it even if they don't feel like it. You know, because at that time, remember Jesus rules with a rod of iron, and if a country doesn't send a contingent, this is in Zechariah, to worship the Lord at a festival, I think it's the Feast of Tabernacles it's talking about, then that country will not be rained upon. That is the punishment for not coming to worship the Lord. In the millennial kingdom, you won't get rain for your crops in your country. <laughs> You'll get drought. So um, the millennial kingdom will be a dictatorship. And it will be a dictatorship under Jesus. Jesus will be the benevolent dictator because he will be perfectly righteous. There will be no unrighteousness whatsoever. But it, you won't be able to do whatever you want. You won't be able to sin. You won't be able to get away with sin. So verse 28, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. We look forward to that. Yeah, you know, people, they're, I, I hear people talking bad about Christian nationalism. Have you heard that? People saying Christian nationalism. Well, I am a Christian nationalist. And I am proud of it. You know, what is a Christian nationalist believes in the nation state. So I'm patriotic. I'm a patriotic American. You know, I'm an American. And it's either that or it's being a globalist. 
The globalist is the one world order that Satan is trying to put together. Well, he's going to get his way. Um, but even Christians now are talking against Christian nationalists because they're being sucked into this globalist mindset, and uh, which is the social gospel. The social gospel, you know. Um, so I, I don't care. I am a Christian, and I'm a nationalist because God made nations. He made nations at Babel. Nations should have borders. That's why we don't have a border, because our federal government are globalists. And so they don't want a border. They, don't, they think borders are bad. Um, so that is satanic. Because... Yeah, because God made borders. He did it at Babel. And even in the eternal state, there will be borders. It talks about borders. It talks about nations in the eternal state. Yeah, your skin is a border. So, yeah, it, it leads to chaos. So, you know, Christians who rant and rave against Christian nationalists, um, are on the wrong side. And I'm not saying they're not saved because the only requirement for, for salvation is trusting in Jesus. That's the only thing. I'm just saying that they're misinterpreting the Bible. They're misinterpreting the Bible because the Bible very clearly tells us that God himself created the nation state. And so it's okay to be patriotic. I forgot why I got off on that tangent. That was a little bit of a tangent there. So, verse 29, All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Even he who cannot keep his soul alive. What do you think that means? Yeah, you you really don't have the strength to keep yourself alive, do you? If the Lord does not support you, if the Lord doesn't keep you alive, you're not going to be alive. Yeah, I think this is talking about those who die and are resurrected again. You know, like the Old Testament saints, they will be resurrected to be part of the millennial kingdom and they will be ruling in the millennial kingdom alongside of us. We will die and be resurrected, or we will be translated, one or the other. So, um, yeah, I think that's referring to that. Do you know what the word posterity means? Posterity is what comes after. Oh, okay. So, the, because the last two verses are about the coming generations. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. So those are two, you know, that's the Hebrew parallelism of the Psalms. They're speaking of the same thing. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has performed it. So part of our job as adult believers is we want to teach the children about the Lord and how to follow the Lord, uh, how to honor the Lord. 
Okay, anything else by that? So the second half of Psalm 22 is much more upbeat than the first half. Okay, section 3 is another famous psalm. And many of us memorize this psalm as kids. Psalm 23. So I'll read that one. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup over overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, how does that psalm make you feel? Yeah, it makes you feel safe, doesn't it? Makes you feel secure. Yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You think that's true? Amen. Yeah, if you are a believer, the Lord will support you. You know, he tells us to pray for our physical food, doesn't he? Give us this day our daily bread. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. Um, this is a psalm also from David, Psalm 37. And uh, let's see, where is it? Yeah, Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. If you're following the Lord, the Lord will... Make sure that you have what you need. Now, that means what you need. Not necessarily what you want. <laughs> you know, he won't supply your wants, but he will supply your needs. And, you know, that's the whole story of George Mueller's life, is that he wouldn't accept, you know, they they never passed a plate at their church. They had a box like we do. They never asked for money. He never asked for money. He didn't have a salary from his church. All he did was pray. And for, I don't know, 30 years, he had his church and he supported five orphanages. Five orphanages in the city of Bristol. This is in Bristol, England. And so the Lord and people would just bring things. They, the Lord would put it on their heart and they would bring things to them and support them. George Mueller. Mueller, yeah. And, you know, I mean, that that is true about us, too. You will not want if the Lord is your shepherd. And then verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He takes away anxiety, doesn't he? The Lord takes away anxiety. Sometimes we get anxious. Uh, if we get anxious, we're really in sin. 
There's no need to be anxious if we know the Lord, because the Lord has our back all the time. As opposed to Jesus on the cross, where he did not have his back, because he was punishing him for our sin. Because Jesus did that, the Lord always has our back. No. Always. So Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4 says, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Now, this is a learned thing. We have to learn how to do this. Um, you know, when we first come to the Lord, we don't think this way. We, we think that we have to look out for ourselves all the time. Uh, no, what we have to do is listen to the Lord and obey him, and he will take care of the rest. And he helps you to sleep well. At least he does me. So verse 3, he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, when you first come to the Lord, many times you come because of sin that you have in your own life. And you realize, this is bad. <laughs> you know? And you realize that you have messed things up terribly. And you turn to the Lord. Well, what does he do? He restores your soul. You know, you trash your soil by sin, and uh, you feel terrible, and you feel like nothing will ever be right again. Uh, but when you start to follow the Lord, he will restore your soul. And he begins to guide you in paths of righteousness. And it's good for you, but it's also good for him, Right? It's for his name's sake. Because people wonder about you. What's going on with you? You know? And they see that you're acting righteous. Whereas you weren't before. Uh, and sometimes they don't like it. You know, I've told this story before. When I first went with me and uh, another guy went through the cardiac fellowship together. And the first time we went for our general surgery boards, I was not following the Lord. And we went drinking. And, uh, you know, there's a debauchery and this sort of stuff going on. And, uh, you know, we both passed. We did our general surgery boards. That was down in New Orleans. And then I turned to the Lord uh, before our thoracic surgery boards or oral boards, and that was in Chicago. And I started, and he started to restore my soul, the Lord did, and guiding me in path, paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and I wouldn't do that again. My friend wanted to go out and do like what we'd done before, and I said, no, I don't want to do that. I'm sorry, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and he's, he said, boy, your new leaf is really cramping my style. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, but that's how it is. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so 
And what does that do? That's for the Lord's namesake. He enables you to do that. So, um, and then verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. So, what can man do to us? You know, if we understand what we have being in Jesus, that we, we should have no fear, even of death. Because the Lord has taken away the fear of death. And that is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. He conquered the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Because we know we will be resurrected, and we know that when we die, the intermediate phase between our physical death and our resurrection will be spent with the Lord. So there's nothing to fear. And then you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. So we'll be taken care of and protected simultaneously. So yeah, being with the Lord is a good place to be. So section D. I know, but we're not done yet. <laughs> I know. All right, I guess I'll have to do it. It's becoming a ritual now. I just read the last section. And uh, this is Psalm 27 now. So I skipped a few. Psalm 27. Another Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's what we were learning in Psalm 23. The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though a war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell <clears throat> in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. See, it's good to go to church. That's what it's talking about there. We want to go to the place of worship. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent he will hide me, he will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. We're going to do that in a few minutes. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. So what is that? What is he saying there? How do you seek the Lord? How do you seek the Lord's face? In prayer. Right. In prayer. You, we, we have a communication with the Lord. He communicates to us through his word. We communicate through prayer. So we have a conversation. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Sometimes the Lord doesn't answer our prayers, does he? Especially if we're in sin. You know, like King Saul. King Saul, the Lord answered. He ignored him all the time because why? He was in sin. 
Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Now, is that a great promise or what? It doesn't matter how good your parents are. Not everybody has good parents. Somebody, some people have terrible parents. You know, they might be abusive. They might be abandoning. You know, they might, they're sin, sinners. They're people. So you might have terrible parents, but the Lord will take you up. You can always turn to the Lord. He's a very good parent. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. You know, if they're false witnesses, it tends not to stick. If you're you know, following the Lord. The accusations don't stick. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Isn't that what Paul said? He said, if this is true only in this life, you know, we're out of luck. That's a paraphrase. <laughs> no, it's this continues on. This continues on through our lives through death, into resurrection, into eternity. And so, because Jesus has risen from the dead. And then wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. The Lord has a different timetable than we do. Uh, usually it's much longer than ours is, and it seems like the Lord is not doing anything to us many times, and we get uh, impatient. So so anyway, Lord, we thank you for, and Annika wants to go. <laughs> Don't you, Annika, it's okay. You could go. <laughs> you have to go? Okay. So, Lord, we thank you for uh, these psalms. We thank you that Jesus paid the price for our sin. We thank you that he's willing to do it. Uh, we thank you that it's a done deal. We thank you that salvation is open for everyone, and all they have to do is believe in him. And we pray that you would help us to follow you, and we thank you for all the benefits that comes with that. And uh, we pray that our worship that is coming up will glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>